0: Zero Business Podcast is brought to you in association with Ed's Sustainable Business Covered Podcast, and it's the only place where corporate sustainability and energy professionals can get under the skin of some of the world's most ambitious emissions reductions targets. So, welcome and enjoy the journey to a net zero future. Welcome along to Edie's Net Zero Business Podcast, our spin-off podcast series focusing on the growing need for businesses to align their strategies with climate science by setting credible net zero emissions goals. Since the UK government set its 2050 net zero target into law in 2019, many other countries have followed suit. So globally, more and more businesses are attempting to get ahead of the political climate curve by strengthening their carbon and energy strategies and pledging to net zero. This series sees Ed speaking with the trendsetters and trailblazers, the organisations that have set these targets, to get insight on how they were developed and how they will be delivered. We've had a range of different organisations guest speaking on this series since it launched back in 2020, to name a few, BT, Kingfisher, National Trust and the University of Staffordshire. And while we usually look at carbon and net-zero strategies broadly, today we're zooming in on the role that low-carbon and zero-emission transport adoption can play in their delivery. This podcast forms part of our ongoing Masters Series on Electric Vehicles, EVs, hosted in association with Eon UK. We'll be hearing from Eon UK shortly, but before we do, I'd like to welcome our end-user business guest today, who is from every EVRI. If you haven't heard of that brand, worry not, because it's only existed under that name for a few days. Last Friday, so that is the 11th of March, parcel delivery giant Hermes announced that it would be changing its name to Every, and said in a statement that this is, quote, more than just a name change, but a statement of intent. So the intent is to improve ambitions and performance across the ESG agenda. The EV transition obviously forms a huge part of the brand's environmental approach, given that it delivered more than 630 million parcels in the UK in 2020. So it was timely to be able to catch up with Evry's head of ESG, Nancy Hobhouse. In this discussion, we were able to talk a little bit about the rebrand and a lot about the company's approach to EVs, to alternatives like biomethane and hydrogen vehicles and about the infrastructure needed to support these technologies. After we hear from Nancy, we'll have a segment from our sponsors for this episode, Eon UK, tracking wider trends in business EV adoption. But for now, let's play that talk with Every in full. Good morning, Nancy. It's great to be dialing in with you for our Net Zero Business Podcast. How are you doing this morning?
1: Hi, good morning, Sarah. No, I'm really good, thank you. It's been a it's been a very busy week at Every, but um, we are very excited and I'm um, really excited to talk to you.
0: I've realised that yeah, timeliness. Sometimes for us with our podcast, it just works out. Um, and this is one of those um, one of those moments. So this podcast will be going live, um, I believe, less than a week after it was announced to the press that the business would be um, rebranding as every. So I think that that's probably um, a good place to start. Being a sustainability journalist, the fact that the word starts with EV um, really stood out to me. So I guess I'd love to ask a bit about how that that rebrand reflects the EV vision and as well the business is positioning of the broader ESG agenda.
1: It's a really it's really great timing. So we've obviously moved from Hermes Parcelnet net uh, to EV. Um, uh, and every. So, um, th- the reason why we rebranded is that we're changing and we're constantly changing as a company. And um, for us, it was we wanted to really demonstrate that transition. You are not wrong in the fact that it starts with an EV. That isn't a very wonderful coincidence, but very much a purposeful point um esg is one of our four pillars for our entire company going i mean where well, it has been for a while but really set in stone under under our new brand um and our four pillars sit as um, being a responsible carrier and that's very much within the environment and um, making sure we're low carbon and low environmental impact as noise and, and um, air and all that good stuff. Um, the other pillar is um, being part of the community, um, which is obviously sits in a lot of our social um, agenda. And then we have cost leadership and um, service as well, which is bread and butter for us at Every. So um, of our four missions, you know, two of them really, really sit in that ESG agenda. So it's so it's, for us, it's it's a really big thing, um, really excitingly. I mean, we're very proud that, you know, we're already leading the charge with like the, the highest commitments in the parcel industry and um, and the lowest carbon but we know we've got a lot more to do very excitingly though um, our brand works really well with our EV vans um, and obviously we're rolling those out and getting more and more in um, but hopefully when you see them um, on the roads you'll see you know e and V is very much prominent in a different color to demonstrate that they are electric so it's a really exciting time actually I'm, I'm really proud of what we've done and I'm really hoping this really shows to everyone our real gear change in this.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for taking time at this super busy time um, for the business. And you mentioned a lot of ESG things there, and we could be here for a double feature if we cover all of them. Um, But today, I think we're really here to dive into net zero um, and the role in which transitioning the fleet will, um, will play in that. So I know that the business is targeting net zero by 2035 for its direct and indirect emissions um in the UK so i was wondering if we could go over where the business emissions um come from i'm presuming that vehicles historically have been um a, a big source but what what else makes up up that emissions
1: mix so in 2021, God, that's only last year, doesn't feel like it's moving very fast at the moment. So, yeah, last year we did a full um, carbon footprint. So that's our scope one, two and three. Um, I'm going to make the assumptions, Erin, please correct me if I'm wrong, that um, the your audience are, are very knowledgeable people in sustainability. So I'm not going to explain what scope one, two and three is, but. We have done the entire value chain for us, and so for us, we can really understand where our big emitters are. Um, you're very right; fleet is a big part of that. You know, we have um, a huge amount of trucks and vans um, on the roads. The, you know, they create um, a significant proportion. But other things that really do make a make a difference for us, we have our courier network, and our couriers are the heart of our business. We have in peak. Um, almost up to 33,000 couriers out delivering parcels, getting people's Christmas presents there and all that good stuff. But these are you know their own vehicles um, and they also have a higher emission load for us in terms of our um, entire footprint. Um, other sorts of emissions, we have a lot of incredible buildings and all our sorting centres, whether that's our big industrial hubs, um, which is the first place all the parcels go to, or whether that's our D smaller de- um, distribution units, um, which is the final sortation, or, or the um, depots, which are the middle ground. They are a big em- emissions as well, um, although we're targeting those quite fast. They're already starting to run on renewable electricity, which as of October last year, which hundred percent of our operations in our renewable electricity which i'm really proud of but of course we really need to focus in in these buildings and then for us the other final one is our suppliers um whether that's you know people who are providing some of our agency staff who help us during our peak times or you know our suppliers that do things like our vehicle maintenance or um people we Borrow uh, vehicles off again during that peak demand. So we we work we need to work with these suppliers and and work out how we can align our goals. So we've set a very very t- strong target of 2035, which is leading in the parcel industry. But it's trying to make sure that we partner with people who also have that sort of a- end goal of of getting there quicker than the government and needs, um, because we believe that that's the right thing to do.
0: Yes, of course. And thank you for that really comprehensive overview. And in answer to your question, I'm I'm assuming if you're listening that you know what scope one, two and three um, emissions are. Um, Obviously, there are things that explain it in more detail than this. But scope one is direct. Scope two is power related. um, And then scope three is indirect. And thank you for the information about um, warehouses and operations. And I'm sure we can come back to that and look at some of the EV infrastructure that's there as as well. But I wanted to dive into the fleet transition um, as well. So you mentioned in the introduction that you are um, leading on low carbon intensity deliveries um, here in the UK. And as you've mentioned, there's been some at scale EV adoption. Um, I'm looking at my notes and there's also been some CNG um, vehicle uh, adoptions. So it'd be great to hear about how net zero is shaping the fleet transition. So what targets there are in place for evs and and alternatives through to
1: 2035 yeah so actually um this is not new news for us um every as a business has always been quite action-led like we see a problem and we'll be like oh all right, well right we'll go do that to fix the problem and so i mean we had our first bio um, cng uh, vehicle introduced in 2018 what a bio um, vehicle is for any of the listeners who um, are not such transport carbon geeks as myself, it runs on biomethane. Um, and where this biomethane comes is usually you know, captured from slurry sludge or waste um, food that um, you know, releases all this methane. What they do is then capture that, condense it into, um, into compressed gas, and then pipe it into and deliver it via road to these filling stations. I think there's about 18 filling stations, but I can never keep up with it because they are growing at a rate of knots, um, which is so great because it helps us increase the sort of logistics across the entire country. And what we we then have these specialised vehicles um, that only take this biomethane um, and run on this biomethane. So we've been we've been introducing that into our fleet for quite a while. Um, we're now proud to say that uh, you know 40% of our fleet by the end of this year will be running on bio um, CNG which is really great news. But, you know, obviously, we know that this doesn't come without its own problems. Um, If you're talking about tailpipe emissions, this is a a 95% reduction in carbon, but it can be up to 95. It, It usually sits between 85 and 95, depending on what the fuel stock is in terms of where we've got the biomethane from. But... It's a big, big saving, but it's not net zero as of yet, if you're looking at tailpipe specifically. So, you know, we're keeping our eye on technology. It's really, really important. But if you're talking about the sort of large, large vehicles and the HGVs, to be really frank, EV and hydrogen is not quite there yet. Um, And we know it's not quite there yet, but it is something that we can see coming down in the future. So, I mean, for example, only uh, a few weeks ago, um, myself... Um, our procurement director our director of fleet um all of our um people who are really key into this we spent you know almost 3 days sat with all the um different manufacturers of these large vehicles and speaking to them about what they can what they are doing where the where the innovations coming when they think they're going to be releasing these vehicles what they're doing in this space and then also talking to them about the future technology you know there's still a sort of element of is it going to be ev is it going to be hydrogen is it going to be a combination of both so what we're going to do is ensure that we are continually going to trial um, these vehicles as they come through um we've we've we are hoping to trial an ev hdv um every time i say that i feel it's a bit of a mouthful um so we'll be hopefully trialing one of those this year um we're still working out which manufacturer will be doing that with, um, but there are a few really good ones on uh, coming through Um, and also keeping an eye on the hydrogen. But until then, um, until that technology is up and ready, we're not going to stop our low carbon transition. So we're going to continue to grow our biomethane fleet um, where it's appropriate. There are places where um, the infrastructure is not there in order to be able to deliver what we need to deliver. And in those places, we are looking at things like an HVO solution. Um, And HVO is another type of biofuel. um, But the difference between HVO and um, bio CNG is the HVO can just be put into any sort of diesel truck. um, So it needs no conversion whatsoever. It's just run on a different fuel, which is, you know, a really, really useful um, middle ground before we get to complete net zero HVO like. By by NCG is not 100% carbon free, um, but it's very significant reduction. So we're trialing that in some of our in one of our sites at the moment, in hope that we can therefore fill the hole of where there isn't necessarily the infrastructure that we need. And or because we already have diesel vehicles in use, and we don't want to be pulling them out of use because the whole point about uh, low carbon is to be environmentally friendly and stopping a vehicle that is brand new just because it's diesel is not great for embodied carbon and stuff so how can we help transition that vehicle without losing the usefulness and the embodied carbon and not you know and just regarding the embodied carbon of building that vehicle and all of that stuff so there's a lot of things i'm sorry i've just rabbled at you sarah but i mean as you can tell i i really love a low carbon vehicle but you know in conclusion um we are continuing to look at the new technology whether that's hydrogen or h or ev hvo um and we will in the meantime use this middle ground solution to get to low carbon and that through the biofuel whether that's hvo or cng Um, Because we don't believe that you should just wait for the technology to be ready. 2040 is too long, which is the government's target to um, have no more ice vehicles in production. And and we believe we need to go faster than that.
0: Not a ramble at all, Nancy. It's loads of information. I always find that it's better to have too much information than not enough. And especially with EVs, you start talking and then we usually get loads of questions in um, from listeners. So thanks for ticking off some of those questions before They came up and obviously completely makes sense on things like conserving materials and keeping them in use as well. Um, I wanted to ask on you've you referred to HVOs as like a middle ground, like a a middle solution. Um, And normally in this when we're looking at a whole net zero strategy. We look at um, offsetting. So I guess a natural question is when we get to that 2030 to 35 um, point, whether there will be diesel or petrol vehicles in the fleet, Um, running on something that's not HVO and then how you'll deal with remaining HVO and CNG with with offsetting?
1: I mean, that's such a great question Um, and and something that we're actually really facing into at the moment. Um, We're spending a a lot of time and a lot of resource in terms of people um, working out um, our entire fleet plan to 2035. To be really frank, I don't think we will have diesel vehicles running on fossil fuel. Um, we will hopefully get to the point where, if we do have ICE vehicles or, or ICE's internal combustion engine, which is our diesel, petrol vehicles, if we have them in, in our fleet, we will be running them on, a, on the low carbon fuel. Um, however, 2035 is a very, very long way away. Um, And we appreciate that technology has changed. The world has changed. I mean, look at the last two years, how much the world has changed. So you can't completely and utterly rule anything out, although that is not going to be our plan in any way, shape or form. Um, So if that is the case, then we will look at what we we can do in order to offset that we as a company have chosen as it stands not to buy offsets um because we would like to focus and what we think is important is focusing our carbon down um, and reducing our absolute carbon and if we get to that stage we will probably look at insetting um which i don't think is even a word but it's maybe something i've just made up but what we're looking at is is how do we produce a carbon positive program in ourselves in order to sort of net out our carbon use as a company. Um, But like I said, we are not planning to have any ice vehicles in our uh, fleet that is run by fossil fuels in 2035. However, there might be other stuff in our entire carbon that we will not be able to get rid of as a consequence. So, you know, if we look at things like flights, there are no low carbon flight options as it stands. Um, However, we still need to get parcels to Um, loved ones in different parts of the world and you know know, global commerce is is an important important thing for this planet so um, how we look into that is probably going to be in if we haven't got the technology to go low carbon by that stage we'll be looking at how we offset that whether that's producing our own carbon positive projects or buying offsets we're not ruling anything out but we are aiming not to be using offsets at that stage that makes sense and i think insetting is definitely a word i think oh is it good i I haven't
0: made it up um, uh, earlier this month we actually received in our inbox like a new guide on insetting by a bunch of businesses that are collaborating on that including i believe h m um groups so i think that that's something that will probably take off um in in the next few years so it'll be interesting to follow that and might have to be back in touch um so we've talked about the vehicles themselves. We've talked about offsetting. We've talked about what's the right vehicle for where. And you mentioned that um, as well as deciding whether an EV or CNG or HVO is more appropriate based on things like vehicle size, um, how new the vehicle is, what applications it's going to be used for. You also mentioned um, location. And I wanted to come back to that because something we always get asked when we do EV content is what about the the infrastructure isn't the UK's electric vehicle and alternative fuel stock growing faster than the infrastructure. So I wanted to dive into how the business is making sure that the vehicles and the recharging and refuelling is is there at the same time.
1: Um, so buy and CNG uh, is slightly different for us than EVs in terms of the infrastructure. We partner with a company called C&G Fuels, um, who are the ones who put the infrastructure in. Um, ourselves and one of our beloved clients, John Lewis, um, are the biggest users of these bio C&G vehicles. So we have an incredible relationship with them. So um, both ourselves and John Lewis, um, we, we share very openly where our plans are, <clears throat> where all of our buildings are. And so it really helps bring that network in. So we have, you know, our new Barnsley hub will have a big CNG um, fueling station right near it so so we know that we can be running these vehicles out of our big centres. So I think that close relationship really, really helps for us and and CNG fuels are, are no fools in any way, shape or form and are really setting that network out in order to be at key points across the country so you can run these vehicles. EVs are slightly different. And I think um, everyone is is facing into the challenges of the infrastructure. Um, You know, we live in the UK. um, There's a lot of old building stock, which is incredible, um, you know, with all that history. But a lot of the building stock is not necessarily set up for high voltage, fast charging. um, And so we have to make a lot of change, not a lot of changes, but a reasonable amount of changes, especially to some of our older buildings, to how we get The charging into this. Um, We have been focused on this for a while because um, I've talked a lot about our big tractor units or our big HGVs um, but we also have a big flat van network, 30% of our parcel shop vans are EV. So We have been working and we have a dedicated project manager who works specifically on our EV charging rollout. Um, We partner with a great charging company in order to put all the posts in. And we work really closely with our facilities um, team and our energy provider in how we can get the um, right charging and voltage through to this. I'm not going to lie to anyone. It's not easy. And I think probably I would say it's the more uh, resource heavy part of your EV transition. Um, people always talk about the vans and, you know, all that good stuff. But actually, now we're getting to certainly with the vans at a technology point where you can buy some really great vans straight off the shelf. Um, but getting the infrastructure in is the bit that we focused in on, especially in terms of project and working out what we can do. And we also now, you know, as we onboard new buildings, as we grow, um, looking at how when we onboard them whether they're ready and right for us because of the transition that we're making to this sort of low carbon future that makes complete sense um and yeah i think something that a lot of people are
0: facing into at the moment and we we are aware of cng fuels um as i'm sure that a lot of our listeners will be so yeah good to good to hear some more from them um so we've we've gone over so many different topics but something that we haven't Um, gone over, I think, is the the bits of this puzzle aside from alternative fuels um, and electrification. So we often hear that for um, consumer transport, so getting people around, delivering the low carbon transition also just means more efficient um, routes and potentially behaviour change. So getting people on their buses, on their trains, um, on their bikes. And I understand that this sort of approach is happening um, in logistics and parcels. Um, as well. So I wanted to touch on what the company is doing to improve journey efficiency um, and to give customers new options that might might be to do with ac- active deliveries, active transport.
1: I think you've touched on a really great piece here. So to get to a net zero future is not one company's problem, one country's problem, it's a worldwide problem. And I think the best way to describe it is, you know, in your own house, you can change your light bulbs to um, LED and that's really great, but you also need the element of making sure you only put them on when you're needing them. Um, so that behavioural piece as well as the technology piece can really drive a, you know, into that sort of low carbon and, and really efficient piece. For us, this is really key. Um, so what one of the one of the things that we're doing is sort of producing different ways of delivery that can be really reducing on your carbon. For us, our out-of-home network is one of our proudest um, pieces on that low-carbon behavioural change. And um, I'm going to face into straight away what a lot of people say to me on this. So for those who don't know, our, our out of home networker uh, is a combination of our parcel shops, um, and most people would have seen one of these on their street corner. Um, it is either some of the big brands you recognise, so Tesco's we're partnered with, you can go get your parcels from from your local Tesco's, or it's our smaller corner shops. Um, um, so these are our parcel shops, and we're also uh, partnered with InPost um, for lockers. So this is our out of home network, and what our out of home network means is that we, we're really focusing our EV vans into this. So we, we can get up to 90 percent carbon reduction through a out of um, home delivery versus a courier delivery um, for several reasons. You know, obviously, we're, like I said, we're facing our EVs into that, but also we're guaranteed delivery. So we don't have a lot of failed deliveries because the parcel shop is open. We know the opening times we can get there and then it, we hold the parcel for seven days. So it, it's really convenient for the uh customer because they can come when it's right for them and so we don't you know therefore have a failed delivery to their house because they're out however a lot of people will say to me straight away well aren't we just sort of uh, pushing the carbon onto our customers because they're having to get into a car and drive and we're very conscious of this um so for that reason we've been growing our out of home network massively um we're now over 10,000 parcel shops in the entire country um we have at least 60 percent of the uk which is in a in a walking distance of one of these parcel shops and that's a short walk we're not talking you know marathon or whatever but that's a sort of 15 minute walk of one of these parcel shops as we grow this network we're really hoping we're going to get to a much higher percentage there so that people will be really be able to pop down the shops and it's a five minute walk away it's not increasing the car journeys um and also using really great partners like Tesco's, where we know people will be going there on their own shopping mission anyway. So it's it's just it's there and it's convenient. Um so that's one of our really great things. We're doing other things like street portering, um, and that's where people are delivering parcels um on foot or on bike with the bike portering, and those are our e-cargo bikes, um, and using sort of like vans as sort of mobile uh delivery units so they everyone can come to the van pick up the round that they need put it in these incredibly designed bags because it's slightly different from when you you know your your local postman does it because it's not a letter so they can't carry around in bags you have to have things on wheels because they're you know much more bulky items so we're trialing those they're being trialed in london um we had a really successful trial last year and we're now increasing that trial um so there's a lot of things that we're doing and looking at in order to be able to help Um, that low carbon piece. Um, And then, you know, you're right, the other things like you know, vehicle efficiency, telemax, um, round um, planning, that's all going on as well, but very much more behind the scenes. Um, So we're giving that information to the couriers to help. And they've now got this new incredible communities app, which really helps our communication with them. So yeah, there's a lot of things going on. It's a very, very busy space, um, but we're really, really excited about it, Um, especially some of these sort of low carbon options like parcel shops.
0: Great. Well, as as I mentioned before, you must be super busy with all of that going on, Nancy. So thank you so much for your time on the podcast. I think we are just about out of time for this segment. So thank you so much once again for your time and for your insight.
1: My absolute pleasure. It was a really lovely to speak to you, Sarah.
0: Thank you to Nancy for her time. And we're looking forward to following Every's future announcements on transport decarbonisation and net zero more widely. So we usually have just the one guest speaker on these episodes. But as this edition is kindly being sponsored by Eon UK, their general manager of Eon Drive and their director of Eon Infrastructure Services has also taken the time to sit down with me virtually for an exclusive conversation. And the man with both of those titles is David Butters. David spoke to me about why businesses are, in the main, becoming ever more keen to adopt EVs, but how they continue to face significant challenges in doing so, which are rapidly evolving as COVID-19 recovery continues, as the legislation changes, and with the ongoing energy price crunch. So without further ado, let's play that conversation with David. A very warm welcome onto our podcast this afternoon, David. Um, How are you and whereabouts are you calling in from today?
2: Thank you. Yeah, it's a a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm very well. Uh, slightly sad that it's raining outside it was a nice morning and uh, it's got a bit grey as is often the way um, and certainly in Derby which is where I'm, uh, I'm calling in from.
0: Great I was I was yeah getting an email from someone in in California yesterday very jealous considering the weather that we have um, this week so thank you David so much for your time to pop on to this podcast um, ahead of our webinar that we can talk about a little bit um afterwards. So, like it probably bears starting with seeing as that you are general manager at Eon Drive um and director at Eon Infrastructure Services to just give people a little bit of an overview as to what those businesses are and what they do.
2: Yeah, of course. And um I'll probably just start with a little bit of an overview of, of Eon generally in, in terms of global context from, from both an e-mobility point of view and um, Eon in the UK, I think a lot of people will know potentially who we are, um, but we are more than just an energy provider. So um, I guess if I start with, with Eon as a as a as a group, Eon in in e-mobility purposes, uh, we are a charge point operator. Uh, we operate over 12,000 charge points across 12 European countries, delivering over two and a half million charging sessions every year. In the UK specifically, I guess many people will know us as an energy supplier, as I say, and we are actually the largest supplier of electricity in the UK. Um, and almost one in five households and businesses in Britain are actually an on customer. Um, we do offer a range of energy solutions, not just e-mobility. E- and as I say, we're we're very keen. Um, for people to know is not just as an as a electricity and gas supplier, but very much as an energy um, solutions provider as well. Uh, and we actually believe that we install more devices in people's homes every year than any other company through our energy solutions business. As I say, I am the general manager of EON Drive, uh, and EON Drive in the UK uh, are responsible for delivering the mobility solutions to homes and businesses specifically. So that includes the initial consultation um, for our customers who are starting on the the road to electrification, uh, understanding what their requirements are, what their options are, and how they might access that um, through installation of charge points, um, and then the ongoing operation and maintenance of those charge points. Um, but also. Providing data and analytics, uh, expense reimbursement for fleet managers um, and then using our expertise across energy solutions to provide access to um, a lot of other either energy efficiency measures, smart tariffs, um, self-generation solutions and and various other things as well. Uh, And then on the infrastructure side, so you're right, I'm also a, a director of the Arm Drive Infrastructure Services. Um the E.ON driving infrastructure services in the uk is a relatively small business, although very much looking to grow over the next few years so we manage our um public charging infrastructure we as i say we're currently a a relatively small business in the uk with that with a handful of um public charge points but very keen to grow very fast and um at our recent capital markets day the on uh, group board announced an aspiration to uh, be a top three charging provider in all of our key regions, including the UK, by 2026. So I think that, in a whistle stop tour, is, is hopefully a summary of Avion.
0: Uh, we'll have to be whistle stop considering um, that we are podcasting, but I'm sure we can get more into depth um, in our masterclass later this month.
2: Sure.
0: Um, and you mentioned there about some of the domestic things that the business is up to, but um, but we are going to be focusing on like the business of ev adoption day in this in this podcast and i understand that eon drive has been going for a fair few years now um, so i wanted to ask you what trends you've been seeing in interest in ev solutions so like charge points on on business sites for example yeah, um cool. I'm, I'm i'm presuming that's gone up in recent years but obviously the pandemic might have affected things a lot
2: um, it has in terms of um, it's really interesting. actually. It, it maybe has in terms of kind of certainty of exactly what the right solution is. Um, but in terms of desire to act, I think, it, it, if anything, it's only made it stronger. Uh, you know, a, a number of people commented at the start of lockdown how much cleaner the air was, and uh, you know how nice it was to hear the birds singing and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and that really resonated with people. So yeah, interest generally in um, green agendas uh, in the public consciousness has become a lot higher over the last few years, um, and that's certainly then resonated through into business as well. Um, you know, we now know that over half of businesses on the FTSE 100 have committed to net zero targets by by 2050. Uh, more and more fleets are looking to electrify, to to drive a, a drive down costs, but then also be um, to really start to to walk the talk in terms of the, uh, the net zero agenda and um, bringing down carbon emissions, although Uh, COVID has changed people's ways of working and potentially given rise to to question marks over the right solution. It's only accelerated the interest in a solution.
0: That makes complete sense. And we've talked there about how the pandemic affects that and that um, as a driver, but obviously there's a lot of other different changes um, going on. So in recent years, we've seen the ban on new petrol and diesel car sales being brought forward to 2030, then the same um, for vans, the introduction of clean air zones locally, uh, the expansion of the EULAs um, in London, and that's to mention just a, a few things. So do you think that they're contributing to, to business trends as well?
2: Uh, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, they and, and many other factors as well. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's such an exciting time to be in the, the industry. Um, it, it really is. The speed of change is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and you know, you've mentioned some of the, the the changes in legislation, potentially introduction in terms of more and more um low emission zones, clean air zones and and so on and so forth. But also, you know, the, the automotive industry is is really changing its focus. The the number of electric vehicles generally is just becoming more and more prevalent. Customers are becoming more and more engaged in the electric vehicle market. Um And and actually going beyond that as well. And and one of the great things in my role is um, I I really see electric vehicles as a gateway to many other energy solutions as well. You get an electric vehicle, you see how much it costs to charge. You start to look at smart tariffs, then you look at self-generation, solar battery, so on and so forth. And and that's a really exciting place to be. Uh, And, and, you know, as costs come down and the public infrastructure gets better, and again people's ways of working and, and and ways of being have changed longer journeys commutes are far less prevalent now than they used to be and therefore people feel a bit more comfortable getting electric cars and not having the range of anxiety that they they perhaps used to so all of those things play a factor in uh, in the increase in in, in EV take up
0: of course and we've spoken there about some of the pros but i wanted to look at some of the remaining um challenges as well so you've mentioned there that demand is there so the will is is there um, the costs may not be quite there for everyone, especially post-COVID, but they are um, coming down at the same time as we're seeing petrol prices go massively um, up. But I wanted to look at in your work from clients what the remaining biggest barriers are still. Yeah. What, are you, what are you hearing?
2: Yeah, so I, I think um, there's, there's probably a few. Uh, you know one right now is is certainly actually the right vehicles to meet the needs you know we've talked quite a lot so far about cars but actually still for um, larger vehicles or more specialized vehicles that's certainly a challenge and um, you know if you're driving long distances uh, as well, the the range anxiety is, is certainly still there, um, and particularly then I guess that feeds into into point two, which is around actually impacts on productivity. It's it's very easy to stop at a petrol station and and fill you fill your van with petrol or, or diesel, but it's actually you know obviously far harder to do the same with. Um, with electricity and, and, and charge. So, having to either change uh, schedules, change rotors, manage different ways to avoid an impact on productivity or accept an impact on tra- productivity and a trade off for, for other things is something that businesses have to consider. Um, and then I think the other thing is is really just understanding the trade-off between the upfront cost versus the total cost of ownership, particularly when you consider the charging infrastructure for businesses that they may need to install in, in depots or workplaces, um, what they may need to do for their employees at home, and then the cost of the vehicles themselves. Um, that can be quite eye-opening, I would say, probably upfront um and and you really do need to consider the the total cost of ownership um in order to 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 get a full view of the of the benefits case of doing that and that's sometimes made harder by some of the uncertainties in the uh, in in the EV market what's the residual value going to be what's the cost of maintenance what's the cost of insurance um all of those things so you know there are some uncertainties there that 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 make that kind of upfront cost versus total cost of ownership sometimes a little bit hard to balance for businesses, particularly.
0: That makes complete sense. And with the residual value thing, I remember seeing a piece recently about how one of the big automakers was just selling its first tranche of second life EVs, as in those first gen EVs that actually were good enough for business use and for the average family to use. They're just starting to be resold now. So we really are in the middle of quite a young revolution.
2: Yeah. And, and and I think that will become the the good news seems to be so far that everything is more positive than was first thought. Batteries are lasting longer, um, and and holding more of their charging capability, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and you know, with the the second hand car market or the car market generally in in um, with the challenges that it's got at the moment, second hand cars are more valuable than um, you know they might have otherwise been. So we are seeing those things all moving in a positive direction. Um, but it will take time for them to to fully flow through. As you say, we're still a very, very young market comparably.
0: And you've talked there about some of the challenges faced by maybe businesses that are a little bit early on in their EV journey. But I'm conscious that we're probably also going to have people tuning in um, that are way further ahead. that are now scanning the horizon for what's going to be um, the next big thing. So I wanted to touch on some of those more emerging technologies to get a feel of of where we're at um, a technology that we've covered quite a lot at ED is, is V2G, but I'm aware that there may be some other things on the horizon that, um, that EON's either already providing or exploring.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it's a, a great question. I think um, right now there is not one one kind of real answer. Um, the answer is probably in a lot of different spaces. Uh, v, V2G is, is certainly one of those answers and, and something that EON have been um involved in we've been running doing some trials with uh, with nissan um and others um around v2g for, for fleet customers um and we, we installed uh, 60 v2g charge points last year and um we're now starting to collect the data from those to understand the, the, the cost benefit analysis from those and again the uncertainty in the energy markets is really helping um to prove the business case for, for v2g actually um so so that's certainly one and and you know it's very close to becoming a, a a readily available product i think certainly in the next um 12 to 18 months i think we'll be in a position where we start to see v2g as a, as a commercial proposition um there is still some barriers to it particularly around ccs uh capability in in the v2g space but that's not too far down the line either i don't think but then other technologies um, you know, load management is an obvious one that a lot of um, charge point operators, charge point manufacturers uh, already provide uh, in, in various different guises, whether that's uh, static load management, dynamic load management. Um, EON have recently uh, developed a product which works in conjunction with the buildings to manage overall uh, load across a, a site, including vehicle charging and all of the vehicle uh, capacity as well. We've also recently launched a uh, what's called a booster product, which is effectively a very large battery, which allows you to uh, deliver rapid charging beads without needing a high high level uh, grid capacity. And, and, and you know, self-generation and battery storage combined is definitely one uh, for the future as well. Um, and then the other the other thing I think more from a an economic benefits point of view kind of linked to vehicle to grid is more technology around smart tariffs uh, and flexibility trading and really optimising the use of the vehicles, the batteries, um, charging schedules and functionality that allows you to to charge at the cheapest and greenest times and and take advantage of the, um, the cost benefits that that can bring.
0: Yeah, you mentioned we're, we're clearly going to have to get in touch again next year and ask that same question about yeah. V2G.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Um,
0: and and where we are you you mentioned something that i wanted to come on to which is that um the ev transition obviously isn't about just purchasing the chargers and then uh purchasing the vehicles you also need to to consider things like flexible energy um and and load management um but something we get asked as as well a lot when we talk about electric vehicles is is it all um electric vehicles what about modal shift what about um biomethane what about um hydrogen so i'd love to pick your brain on on your thoughts about how the transition to low carbon commercial fleets is going to have this mix of solutions
2: yeah and as i said before i think it's really important that there is no no one answer yeah you know, every business every fleet every every driver is different um and and therefore it needs a range of different solutions for for people to be able to take the ones that are most optimal for them. Uh, hi- hydrogen is definitely something that is that is coming. Um, it's, it's behind, at the moment, uh, the, the, the uh, space, but in many cases won't be for long. I think EON in the UK's general position is electrification where possible, hydrogen where necessary, uh, as a general statement. Um, and actually, a lot of the, the kind of developments so far in terms of hydrogen have been more... Either storage or um, usage related, as opposed to vehicle related, in the UK. Um, albeit there are some trials in in Europe that are um, you know looking at um, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, particularly. Um, and and then I think on the on the the kind of topic of modal shift, I think that's definitely something again, I kind of talked about um schedules and rotors and things for for fleet drivers to to consider. I think you know modal shift within that is definitely something as well that they they need to consider how do they use different vehicles, different technologies, different um ways of operating um ultimately to deliver the outcome the same outcome in a in a more um, carbon efficient way.
0: Great. Well, I think we have, as you mentioned earlier, done a bit of a whistle stop tour of all things to do with um, low carbon fleets this afternoon, David. Um, So I'm going to let you get going. I'm aware that's all the time we have for the podcast. Um, But I wanted to flag again that David will be speaking on our next 45 minute masterclass. This is a free to attend online event and it is happening on Tuesday, the 29th of March at 1pm UK time. You can find all the information about that and register to dial in at that time and to watch on demand afterwards at ed.net forward slash webinars. That's ed.net forward slash webinars. Um, but for today, all that remains is to thank you so much, David, once again, for your time on the podcast.
2: No, Thank you, Sarah. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: A huge thank you once again to David, and I'll recap on how to register for our upcoming masterclass on EVs very shortly. But before I do, I want to quickly go through our net zero news in brief. That's the part of this podcast where we pull out major headlines from the global net zero conversation from recent weeks. And what a hugely fast moving conversation it has been since our last episode. Economies, including the UK, the US and the EU, are all changing their approach to energy generation and energy imports in the face of Russia's war in Ukraine, with more commitments on renewables, but also more than a little backtracking on fossil fuels. So firstly, I wanted to highlight that the UK is on the verge of publishing a new energy security strategy. This was initially promised by the 13th of March, um, but it's still not here, and it should now be coming on the week beginning March 21st. We can expect increased commitments on offshore wind and energy efficiency, but also a commitment to increase North Sea oil and gas production in the near term. The EU has also set out its own strategy, but that notably makes no mention of increased fossil fuel production within the bloc, only increased gas storage. Story number two, and we're staying on UK policy. The Public Accounts Committee recently published a report accusing the government of having no clear plan for funding the net zero transition and inadequate plans for engaging organisations that will be key to delivery, so businesses and local councils, but also the general public. That report brought up the gaps in the net zero strategy already raised by organisations, including Friends of the Earth, Client Earth and the government's own advisors at the Climate Change Committee. And we're finishing on a major story from the private sector this week. After being strongly criticised for its coal, oil and gas targets with green groups saying they were not aligned with net zero, HSBC has announced several updates. The bank is set to publish a climate transition plan in 2023 and will also review its financing and investment policies through a 1.5 degree lens. (laughs) That's about all we have time for this episode but before we sign off I wanted to highlight once again the other parts of this E.ON and E.D. Masters series on EV adoption. This podcast is the first of that three-part Masters series. We will also shortly be publishing a free to download E.D. Explains guide. This will answer all your FAQs about electrifying your fleet. Keep an eye on our website and our newsletter for when this is published. And the other part of the Masters series is a 45-minute Masterclass webinar, which, as we've mentioned, is taking place at 1pm GMT on Tuesday the 29th of March. Register to hear more from David as well as from other expert guest speakers and to put forward your own questions on EV adoption. You can see our full agenda for the Masterclass and register to attend at ed.net forward slash webinars. That's ed.net forward slash webinars. Until then, that's all the time we have for the Net Zero Business podcast for this episode. We hope you enjoyed um, this episode. And if you have, you can access all of our past ED podcast episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. You can subscribe on any of these platforms to make sure you never miss an episode in the future. But for today's episode, it is a goodbye from me. Goodbye.